T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Report. The CV report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it's just a Nissan Frontier, but in my mind, this thing's an M1 Abrams tank. Honey, take the wheel. I'm going to stick my head out of the sunroof. Look, any self-respecting veteran should grow a beard and have a belly. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like, if we're going to start getting angry now, it's it's a little late is live in D.C. with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The C.V. Report. Welcome to the C.V. Report. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs, talking about the shoot-down showdown. But before we get into that, I want to tell you that the C.V. Report is powered by the Radio.com app. It lets you listen to hundreds of your favorite radio stations for free, anytime, anywhere. Listen to hundreds of stations along with thousands of podcasts. You can hear podcasts like To War and Back, a Radio.com original series that I'm proud to host. To War and Back is about three incredible combat vets, how they survived the violence of war in Iraq and Afghanistan, and then found battles right here at home. Firefights, crashes, deadly combat cocktails prescribed by docs at Walter Reed, suicide, depression, and the journey to find themselves again. And here's just a sample of what you'll hear. My dad came to me, and uh, with tears in his eyes, he said, the enemy couldn't kill you, and now you're going to do it for him. That suicidal ideation, I'm convinced that 90% of it was the drugs. There's a lot of families of loved ones who never made it home looking at me. Well, she made it home. My kid didn't make it home, or my husband or my dad didn't make it home. Mm. And that sat with me. I'm sitting here today because the soldiers that fought alongside of us, they they took care of me and each other better than anything else I'd ever known. That's the definition of what brotherhood is. That's To Warren Back, available everywhere you get podcasts and on the Radio.com app. All right, now let's get into today's CV report. It's not every day that an international incident seems to push us toward war. But that's exactly what happened this week. And for military veterans, it's probably the most interesting story that we covered all week on ConnectingVets.com. As we reported earlier, Iran's Revolutionary Guard said it shot down a U.S. drone on Thursday amid heightened tensions between Tehran and Washington. The Revolutionary Guard said it shot the drone down over Iranian airspace, while two U.S. officials told the Associated Press that the downing happened over international airspace in the Strait of Hormuz. Now all this happening in a week that was not short on fireworks. The U.S. military alleged that Iran had fired a missile at another drone earlier that was responding to the attacks on two oil tankers near the Gulf of Oman. The U.S. blames Iran for the attacks on the ships, and Iran denies it was involved, despite video. 
And if all that wasn't enough, Saudi Arabia claimed on Thursday that Yemen's Iranian-allied Houthi rebels launched a rocket that targeted a desalinization plant in the kingdom the previous night. Let's face it, it's been quite a week for Iran. They've announced that they've quadrupled its production of low-enriched uranium and threatened to boost enrichment closer to weapons-grade level, trying to pressure Europe to new terms to the 2015 nuclear deal. In recent weeks, the U.S. has sent the USS Abraham Lincoln Carrier Strike Group to the Mideast and deployed additional troops alongside tens of thousands already in the region. From Yemen, the Houthis have launched bomb-laden drones into neighboring Saudi Arabia. And all this has raised the fears that a miscalculation of further rise in tensions could push the U.S. and Iran into an open conflict some 40 years after Tehran's Islamic Revolution. So it's ugly, to say the least. Now within hours of the reported drone shooting, CBS News cameras captured President Trump alongside Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and the press corps asked him about it. All right, let's get you to the White House, where President Trump and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau spoke with reporters. Let's listen. Obviously, 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 you know, we're not going to be talking too much about it. You're going to find out they made a very big mistake. Mr. President, what are your concerns about China? And the questions flew wildly, and it veered off into a couple different directions, including China, political prisoners, even American race car drivers. We're going to be presenting the Presidential Medal of Freedom to Roger Penske. Roger Penske is a great gentleman who has won 18 Indianapolis 500s. But they eventually got back to the drone shooting, and his reply seemed rather off the cuff. Mr. President, you said Iran is a different country. Do you still hold that opinion? Oh, absolutely. When I came here, Iran was in 14 to 18 different sites of confliction. Uh, They were extremely hostile. They were hostile when they signed the deal. They were screaming death to America. And I think probably Iran made a mistake. But yet it seemed as though it could have been slightly scripted, as if to give Iran an exit ramp, almost curating an excuse for the behavior that if it happened in a bar would cause a serious fight. And I think probably Iran made a mistake. I would imagine it was a general or somebody that made a mistake in shooting that drone down. And fortunately, that drone was unarmed. It was not, there was no man in it. There was no, it was just, it was over international waters, clearly over international waters. But we didn't have a man or woman in the drone. We had nobody in the drone. Are you still open? It would have made a big difference, let me tell you. Would have made a big, big difference. But uh, I have a feeling I may be wrong and I may be right, but I'm right a lot. I have a feeling that it was a mistake made by somebody that shouldn't have been doing what they did. I think they made a mistake. And I'm not just talking to the country made a mistake. I think that somebody under the command of that country made a big mistake. And you're talking to Iran's leadership. Let's just see what happens. You just let's see what happens. It's all going to work out. Uh, But this is something, this is a new wrinkle. This is a new fly in the ointment, what happened shooting down the drone. And uh, this country will not stand for it. That I can tell you. Thank you very much. What exactly does not standing for it look like? So to get an experienced perspective, we reached out to Mr. Aaron David Miller, foreign policy expert and distinguished scholar at the Wilson Center. He's among America's foremost experts on U.S. policy in the Middle East. 
He's a former advisor to six secretaries of state, from George Shultz all the way through Colin Powell. As an advisor to Republican and Democrat secretaries of state, he helped formulate U.S. policy on the Middle East and the Arab-Israel peace process. So he knows the players. So I was glad when he agreed to let us call him and talk about Iran and what we should really do about their nasty behavior and, frankly, stupid move. Hello? Aaron David Miller, Phil Briggs, ConnectingVets.com. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm good, Phil. Really good. And uh, hey, thank you so much for the time, as I just saw you on CNN not uh, you know a few hours ago. And I know you're a busy guy with this Iran conflict heating up. So again, thanks for taking the time. Sure. Now, as we talk to military veterans, and our audience is comprised of uh, you know uh, military veterans and families and spouses and supporting members, this this topic is especially close to home because so many of us have given service and have served you know in the GWAT era uh, in the Middle East. And you have a very compelling article that came out, and you've been talking about it on CNN. Um, if I may just read a graph from you before I get your take on it. Um, in the lead, of course, it says that uh, we're not predicting that America and Iran are inexorably headed toward a major war, though the shootdown of a U.S. drone by Iran underscores the growing risk of the conflict between the countries. But you contend that should a war occur, President Trump would wish he would have stayed out. Talk to me about your thoughts about first this drone being shot down and then its implications on our country and our administration. Yeah, first of all, it's an honor to be with you today. I never served, although I had my 25 years working in the interests of the Republic at the Department of State, working on Arab-Israeli negotiations and advising on a variety of Middle Eastern issues really under Democratic and Republican administrations. But I think the strategic issue to me is the issue of the use of force. And it just strikes me, I'm a historian by training, though I never practiced, um, that, in, in essence, before a president decides to put Americans in harm's way and also risk, and also, also risk the lives of, of, of innocents um, in other countries, that several basic questions need to be asked. Not just can we. The U.S. military is extraordinary. It does the job that it's set out to do. And it, 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 it can act with great power and with great effect. But in addition to can we, I think we need to ask, given America's experience with wars since the quote-unquote last good war, and I'm I hesitant to describe any war as good, but I refer to FDR in World War II, as the last war that the U.S. fought um, that had moral clarity, strategic purpose, and left the United States stronger at home and with more influence abroad. Most of our other conflicts, from Korea to Vietnam, the Iraq situation speaks for itself, Afghanistan, have been very fraught affairs, where the military has been asked, uh, and largely, frankly, have, has accomplished their goals, and yet the question becomes whether or not those goals were well thought out, not by military commanders, but by politicians. So in addition to can we do it, I think we're obligated to ask the question, should we do it? What is it likely to cost, and how do you extricate yourselves from it? And the Middle East is a particularly fraught area. It is a broken, angry, dysfunctional region where the U.S. is stuck. 
we cannot transform the region. Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, I think, has proven that over the last 20 years. And we cannot extricate ourselves from it. So if you can't transform and you can't leave, then the only, the only smart play, the only smart strategy is what I call transaction. You identify what your core interests are. You judge the relationship between your military power and your capacity to, to carry out um, those objectives, sometimes with the use of for, uh, military force, more often not. Uh, and you don't get bogged down and distracted in discretionary enterprises that lead to open-ended conflicts with the United, which the United States not only can't win, but it 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 kind of stuck justifying why it's not losing. And our experience with Iraq and Afghanistan, I think, is a cautionary tale here. The standard for victory in those two wars, and I say this with great humility and respect to the men and women who served, who died, and who were injured, and those who did not, um, the standard for victory was really never could we win in the conventional sense. It, it was when could we leave. And extrication, the act of leaving, is not the metric that you want to use to judge the performance uh, and success or failure of the most consequential power on Earth, the United States. So I look at Iran and I think to myself, okay, what is our... What is our objective? It's a serial human rights abuser. It's a regional menace. And yet it is a power that under, under a nasty regime that has a, a certain amount of staying power, to say the least. If you asked me to identify the three most consequential powers in the Middle East today, I would identify the three non-Arabs, Israel, Turkey, and Iran. They all have the power to project their military force. They all have competent, more than competent, militaries and intelligence organizations. They have tremendous economic potential. They're rel- quite stable, actually, despite all the problems that they, each of them confronts. Sure, sure. One is very close to the United States. One is a member of NATO. And one, uh, we're currently on the verge of having a military confrontation with. So the question is, what is the purpose of the use of military force. Administration pulls out of the Iran agreement, highly flawed to be sure, but still functional, designed to constrain Iran's putative desire to acquire enough missile material to make one nuclear weapon. By all accounts, the IAEA and most intelligence services, the Iranians were complying. So the administration gets out of the agreement with no plan B, no alternative, no, no strategy for an end state, and it's surprised to find a year later, since May of 2018, that the Iranians have their own maximum pressure campaign that they're using against the Americans. So we're stuck now. Hmm. And I would argue that the president's restraint, however dysfunctional the decision-making process might have been, is wise. It's an unarmed drone. Yes, it's a challenge to American power. Yes, it's very expensive, $130 million dollars. Uh, and yes, it, it does it does need a response, but is is the drone shoot down the action to which America should respond? No first blood drawn, and not really a strategic challenge to the United States. So we're in this we're in this TikTok with the Iranians. Mm-hmm. The only way to get out of it um, is 
to engage, I mean, with our eyes open. Because otherwise, this is a problem. What happened over the last 48 hours is a problem delayed and deferred, not solved. It will come up again. And more than likely, we, we have not, proverbially speaking, dodged the bullet uh, of a U.S.-Iranian confrontation. A problem delayed and deferred. Um, well put. And, and, and I definitely like your insight on that. I wanted to ask just really quickly, um, with respect to we need to engage, I mean, we're looking at a country that's doing some hostile stuff um, that we previously have engaged with. And I know the withdrawal from the Iran nuclear agreement certainly could have been taken poorly. But this comes on the same week. This drone shoot down comes on the same week that they announced that Iran themselves announced they're going to exceed the limits for enriched uranium that they'd previously agreed to. Um, it comes on the same week that they attempted to shoot down a drone earlier in the week. It also comes on the same week that they've been allegedly, or at least on video, seen putting limpet mines or, or, or removing a limpet mine from the side of a tanker ship, and there's been two tanker ships that have been attacked. I mean, at what point, I mean, how do we go into negotiations with some sort of angle here i mean it seems as though we have negotiated we've given them hundreds of millions of dollars for an agreement and then of course this really piss poor behavior this week <laughs> how do you negotiate with the bad kid in class well i don't when i say engage i i say engage without any illusions i don't know if the iranians frankly are ready and or willing um i mean in your experience don't they also support some of the some of the worst terrorist organizations in the world, such as Hamas and well, Hezbollah, Hezbollah for sure. Um, yes, and they, they and they support Hamas, and they're yes, they're funneling, and there are ties to Sunni groups as well, even though you're, the Iranians are Shia. But I mean, all of your points are quite compelling. It's just I I look at mo- most of Iran's behavior, and again, I, I was no fan of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. It was a Flawed but functional, in my judgment, arms control agreement for a discrete period of time to address a problem for which um, the Obama administration and its predecessors had no solution. It was done to preempt an Israeli strike, which I think would have been akin to mowing the grass. Yes, the Israelis might have set back the program a year, a year or two, but it would, but the grass would have grown back because once scientific knowledge enters the head of a the collective head of a scientific community of a country, you can't purge it out. The Iranians know how to enrich uranium. And eventually, given their ballistic missile technology program, they also, you know, will figure out a way to deliver it. But I I would just give you the, the contrast with North Korea. I mean, the administration has no problem whatsoever. And the president personally describing Kim Jong-un, perhaps the world's final remaining true authoritarian, a man who has, plus the rest of his family, presided over starvation of the Korean, of the Korean people, who is a state sponsor of terror on the terrorism list, who has 60 nuclear weapons. Hmm. And yet the president can talk about Kim Jong-un uh, as if he was uh, involved in some sort of bromance with the president. <laughs> yeah. Love letters and all the rest. So letters, I'm thinking yeah. to myself, yeah. okay, what, why can't, why have we, to some degree, demonized the Iranians? Look, I'm not here to provide a brief for these people. I, I said earlier, this is one nasty regime. 
probably executes more people every year than than any other country other than China. And it is spreading its influence in the region. But I think we have to accept the proposition that despite its egregious behavior, at least on one issue, we were succeeding in buying, at least buying time to try to figure out what to do with a problem that we couldn't solve. Mm. And I might add, we still can't solve it. Unless you change the regime's calculation and make it into some other kind of regime, this is a country driven by a profound sense of grandiosity and insecurity. It's the worst possible combination. Mm. I mean, if you met a person who was insecure and grandiose or entitled walking down the street, you'd want to turn the other direction. It's, it's a terrible combination. You know, diplomacy works. Woody Allen was partially right when he said that 90% of life is just showing up. It's really showing up at the right time. And diplomacy can work. I don't know if, if, there's, if there's any off-ramp here. But one thing I do know, and I think it registered with Mr. Trump's decision, that, uh, and maybe Dunford and others argued this, Mr. President, you know, we can do what you want us to do. We can identify the target sets. Uh, we can take out radars, fire batteries. We can do more. Give me another week. We'll have more assets deployed. But the judgment is we don't know where this is going to go. There likely will be a counter move. The adversary has a vote, too. And you're going to end up in an open-ended confrontation. And this is the real problem. I don't, I don't, you know, you can't change the regime and look at our experience in Venezuela. Uh, in our hemisphere, 50 countries support getting rid of Mr. Maduro. We actually even have a, uh, a Venezuelan opposition leader validated by the Venezuelan constitution. Unlike Iran, where there is no open opposition, and yet nobody's talking anymore about regime change in Venezuela. That bus seems to have left the station. Hmm. So if you can't change the regime, or you want to change it, give me 200,000 American forces, and we'll invade the country. All right? But we've seen that movie. Yeah. It doesn't work. So hmm. you've got two other choices. You can try to test the prospect of a negotiation, unlikely though it may be right now, or you could, you know, engage in um, a, a kind of this, this sort of escalatory cycle. They're all they're all bad options, and frankly, I, I, we're all good conscious with a straight face. I can't even begin to tell you what would happen if, you know, Mr. Trump met with Mr. Rouhani. Not very much, frankly. You don't think it'd be the bromance we saw in North Korea? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Um, Sadly, it because does... North, yeah, North Korea, other American presidents have wrestled with the Iranians. Uh, you know, Jimmy Carter, obviously. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Mr. Trump sees Kim Jong-un as, and you have to give Trump credit for talking to the North Koreans rather than just about them. But I think in Mr. Trump's mind, North Korea and a deal with Kim Jong-un offers him a unique legacy, which I think is one of the reasons he's not willing to give up, even though that diplomacy doesn't appear to be going anywhere. It's an interesting topic. And you know what? It's a weather forecast that, frankly, you're right, does look like cloudy with a chance of rain for days to come. (laughs) And it doesn't seem like we're getting out of this cycle anytime soon. Um, With 30 seconds, I just wanted to get your take on, I noticed when he was in the White House speaking with um, Trudeau, 
he had said something very interesting in that he'd said that he thought it was a mistake. And rather than the kind of thing like, you made a mistake and I'm getting ready to lay you out with a right hook, it was like he actually went on to define with great specificity the type of mistake. I would imagine it was a general or somebody that made a mistake in shooting that drone down. Does that sound like something that was given to him, like a message that says, give Iran an off-ramp as you slam them publicly? I thought about that, and I wondered whether actually someone had handed him a piece of intel, which suggested that this was not a coordinated operation. But, um, and there are obviously, you know, disparate, disparate views among Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps members, but I think the Iranians have been tracking, I think this is part of a pretty calculated, organized, structured campaign, uh, basically to avoid casualties, and if possible, to avoid American targets, although the drone was clearly an exception to that. I don't think this was any sort of rogue operation. Mm-hmm. I think Mr. Trump ultimately made a judgment that it is not... We, it is not worth retaliatory strikes over an unarmed drone. Now, whoever, if the Iranians draw first blood, and this problem has not gone away, uh, the president has already set the red line. And that's, what, that's why I think we're not out of this by any, by any means. Yeah. In your experience with the State Department, though, did you oftentimes witness or did you see some back-channel messaging by using the media or using even a president to say a certain sentence in order to either escalate or de-escalate a situation? Yeah, there all, there's all kind of signaling that goes on. Um, but I don't, I think the signaling that went on here is that I think Mr. Trump had begun to realize that uh, this was not the road he wanted to travel. He was getting conflicting advice uh, from his uh, national security advisor, I suspect, who argued a tough line uh, and cautioned Mr. Trump against being a a paper, a Twitter paper tiger if he didn't respond. And I suspect the military, uh, who who probably um, laid out quite explicitly the risks and consequences of going down that route. So this notion that, you know, it was a 300-pound guy in a bed or it was some, what did he say, loose? It could have been somebody who was uh, loose and stupid. He seemed to suggest that yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this was not sanctioned. This was not sanctioned by the Iranian, by Iran's leadership. I don't think that's the way uh, the Islamic Republic functions, at least on this issue with this organization at this time. Well, we will keep our eyes and ears to the weather forecast politically and uh, look at how this situation continues to play out. It's certainly not going to get any cooler in the Persian Gulf. And, uh, no, it's if it, not. If it heats up again, we're going to come to you for some more expert analysis. I really appreciate your time and everything you're doing at the Wilson Center. Aaron David Miller, thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you so much. Anytime.
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 